It's my pleasure to welcome you on this Mothering Sunday. It really is a pleasure to welcome you. But I want to make an agreement with you as we begin. Mother's Day is both full of elation and full of joy, and for others, full of pain and difficulty. So I want to say to you from the start, as your pastor, as a friend to many of you, it's okay to be where you are today. Please do not feel there is something that you need to have achieved by this point. Please do not feel there is a reason to disqualify you from anything that we talk about this morning. It is okay to be where you are. Be that to cry tears of joy or tears of sorrow. I don't want anyone to feel like there is a performance that needs to be given today. We read in Romans 12 that we are family. We rejoice together and as one. And we mourn together as one. So I'm going to open with a short prayer, but I just wanted us to be on the same page. There is no expectation on anyone this morning, but to be who you are and be where you are. Let us pray. Father God, I want to thank you for the wonder of your presence in our lives. God, I want to thank you for the mystery of your plan in our lives. And God, as we read about these three women in your word this morning, God, I pray that we would find a way to find hope. God, we would see an opportunity to exercise faith. Father, we would know it's okay to struggle. But God, I pray through all of that, we would remain steadfast in our knowledge of your love for us. God, we will remember the price that your son paid for us. So God, be with us this morning as we journey this message together. In your awesome name, amen. So this morning, I'm going to have a collection of readers come, and uh, we're going to journey through Luke 1, uh, which for many of us will strike instantly as the Christmas story. So therefore, we are a good, like, seven months, which is a terrifying thought, early on talking about Christmas. Close. A few more. Not great with maths. But it seems a little bit early to be talking about Christmas, but as I seem to continue to find in my own walk, and as I feel like I say to you from the front, we get caught in a habit of reading the Bible in a certain way. We get caught in reading stories, knowing the outcome, so we simply read to journey to the point we want to get to. So we look at Luke 1 and we see a Christmas story. I want us to look at it slightly different because we engage across chapters, uh, sorry, one and two, three amazing women, Elizabeth, Mary, and Anne. Three women who in their own way experience surprising, joyful, challenging, difficult circumstances. Each of them in their own way, circumstances they would not have hoped for or dreamed of as they were growing up. But through these amazing women, we see strength. We see faith. We see a willingness to submit to the plans and purpose that God has for them. And we see that in every situation they find themselves, they can look to God and find joy. So we're going to begin by hearing about Elizabeth. So Ivan's going to come and read to us. The first engagement we have with one of these amazing women, Elizabeth. Thank you. 
the birth of John the Baptist foretold. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abiah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well on years. Once, when Zachariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by Lord, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go in the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembly worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped by fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will be, will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit of power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well on years. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stood so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had, he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was complete, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor, favor and take away my disgrace among the people. Amen. I love that passage twofold. Uh, for the bit that we're going to explore in Zechariah's um, amazing journey in explaining to Gabriel that he is old and his wife is getting old. I think he plays that very well. I think Gabriel does him a huge favor by silencing him for the duration of the pregnancy as well. But here we have Elizabeth, a character who we know is the wife of a priest. She's a descendant of Aaron. And as we read in Luke 1, 6, she was righteous in the sight of God, observing his commands and decrees. 
What we can establish from this, which I think we quite often miss, is Elizabeth is a big deal. Elizabeth is a big deal. She is the wife of a priest. Through marriage, she's a big deal. She's a descendant of Aaron. Her family tree is a big deal. And spiritually, as it's said of her to be righteous, she's a big deal. We are talking spiritual elite when we look at her. And yet we read, she was childless. She was unable to conceive. And in that time, she had grown to a ripe old age. And the boat had sailed. As far as she was concerned, it had passed. I wonder if you're like me. I wonder if you do that thing where you look at this story and despite our best knowledge of everything that we know, there's a little part of us that wonders. I wonder what she did wrong. I wonder why this happened to her. What is there that we don't read in the text that meant that she somehow deserved this? Because there has to be a reason. There has to be some part of this that makes sense for us. But yet we read in the closing of verse 6 this word. She was blameless. Elizabeth suffered and was blameless. So we can establish her infertility was not the result of some sin. Her infertility was not the result of something that had happened to her, of something that had gone on in her life, maybe that someone else had influenced. It wasn't even a result of the way God viewed her. Because he saw her as righteous. So what we have here is a beautiful, loving, caring, holy, spirit-filled woman who was hurting through no fault of her own, without reason or rhyme. One in six couples will struggle with infertility. One in six, that's an incredibly big number when you consider it. They suggest that very few couples know because they had no idea that was the reason it took so long. So I want to stand here and I want to affirm those of you who have battled with that cruel challenge. It does not define you. It does not define you. It doesn't define who you've been. It doesn't define what you may have done. And it does not stop you from being the person that God wants you to be. doesn't define you and it does not stop you being the person God wants you to be. We see in Elizabeth everything we could possibly imagine of a strong woman. Yet she has this battle. So as the church, I want to give us a little piece of advice. If someone shares with us vulnerably that this is a challenge they're facing, I want you to remember this. Elizabeth was righteous, was the wife of a priest, was blameless, and yet infertility stalked her. So if someone shares with you, please do not try and find a reason. Please do not try and create an explanation for the journey that they're on. As we said at the beginning, we are told we are family. So if they hurt, please just hurt with them. Because Elizabeth teaches us something important. She teaches us that in the midst of any battle, God will still use us. God will still still see his purpose and plan lived out for us. Despite the years of hurt that she faced, 
despite her sadness, despite the fact that culturally she would have been looked down on. She remained faithful and followed God with all that she was. Elizabeth's story ends in a particular way. She has a son. For some of us, our stories won't play out that way. For others, they'll play out that way and look different. Every story is different, but I want us to draw encouragement from what we read of her. She bore a son, John the Baptist. She had the privilege of watching him grow up. She had the privilege of watching him grow up outside, shall we say, of the ordinary conventions of life. He lived a life of a clear purpose. And as a mother, she watched, loved him, supported him. She watched on as his beliefs and his actions changed the lives of many and eventually led to him being arrested. Elizabeth, who hadn't had a child for all these years, watched on as her son was arrested and then subsequently murdered for the things that he believed in. She waited all those years. She had 30 years with him. For Elizabeth, the joy of childbirth was tangibly mixed with the pain of continuing to follow God's call and God's plan. And yet we see a woman who, despite her circumstances, despite what the culture is saying to her, is willing to stand strong on her faith, stand strong on the calling that she has on her life, and even through the joy of having a child, is willing to still stand strong as she watches on with the life choices he makes. I pray as a church we would find amazing comfort from the truth we read of Elizabeth. The things that we feel we may not quite be able to achieve, the dreams that we feel are just out of reach, do not define us. Sometimes there is no explanation. And in Elizabeth we see despite that we can have faith and we can still trust in God's goodness. Moves us on to our second female, Mary, who we know incredibly well. But I'm just going to invite Julian up, who's just going to read to us the moment that we begin to meet Mary and see the journey that she's going to go on. The birth of Jesus foretold. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who has said to be unable to conceive 
is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town hall, to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greetings, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child that you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of the Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed the Lord would fulfil his promises to her. Amen. Thank you, Julie. So in Mary, we have this young girl with her whole life before her. We have this amazing young girl that has a plan in place to be married. She's ready socially to be an insider, to fit right in, married to a loyal husband, playing the game that society expected of her. But God had something special in line for Mary. Something significant was calling her, and whilst it would change her life, it would also cost her dearly. As we listen to that passage, we hear that important line that as Mary hears she's to have a child, the first thing that she responds with is to be afraid and confused. The humanity of this moment isn't lost. But then again, we see this amazingly strong woman of God who, despite everything that's beginning to go on in her head, that's about to play out before her, Stand firm in her faith. Stand firm in her courage that this is the calling God's placed on her life. I wonder how many of us consider Mary when we do Christmas time. I wonder how many of us consider beyond, it's amazing that Mary's got baby Jesus in her tummy. She was a young girl. She was a young girl who by hearing the message of the angel started a life that would be full of huge sacrifices. She risked her very engagement to be faithful. She opened herself up to the disapproving looks, the whispers behind her back, the jokes that would be made about her by being faithful to the calling that God had put on her life. She found herself abandoning everything she owned as her and her family fled to Egypt as refugees. And eventually she had to let her son enter into his ministry. A ministry that left her stood at the foot of the cross as she watched him die. This was a young girl who in that moment that the angel spoke was left with a realisation that the calling on her life was going to change everything. And whilst for us, the everything allowed us to meet with God in a personal way that wasn't available before it, it would cost her. It would cost her dearly. So I wonder for us, 
How often when we follow God, we expect the callings, the things that we're called to be a part of, to be brilliant, to be joy-filled, to be exciting, exhilarating. But with Mary, we see that sometimes the very thing we're called to is the greatest challenge we might face. The very calling on our lives might be the very thing that brings us the struggle. So what can we learn from Mary? Well, we can learn this. We have a young girl who's just met an angel that's told her she's pregnant, and it's God's. Her response is to be submissive. Submissive to the God that she follows. And from there, we see an incredible courage, an unbelievable courage, and a faithfulness that we can only aspire to. Mary's mother had changed her whole life. It changed everything. And motherhood will do that for anyone that journeys it. It changes everything. So those of you who have mothered, those of you who do mother, those of you who play mother figures in the lives of the young children that we had the privilege of being blessed by this morning, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for all you do. I want to thank you that like Mary, you give up so much and it might look different but give up so much to nurture those young lives take time show love bring forgiveness share skills share knowledge thank you Mary knew from the very beginning that Jesus was special I'm fairly sure she knew from the minute that an angel appeared to her that he was going to be special. But as he's born, she knew it. Read that amazing passage that she just stored all those things that she heard up in her heart. The visits. The amazing journey. But she also knew there would be pain. Simon prophesies in Luke 2 that there would be pain. The calling on her life was going to bring more struggles. But even then, even hearing that, she remains faithful. I've never read this in this context before. But the moment that Mary turns to Jesus at the wedding and says to him, can you do something? We read it as water into wine. Mary reads it as the beginning of the end. A woman who knew her son had to die knew that the minute she engaged him in his calling, she was sending him to the cross. And yet she does it because she knows the privilege of serving God. She knows her role in her calling. So I pray as a church, we would be inspired by the faith that Mary showed. I pray we'd be inspired by the courage that she showed to stand up for the calling on her life. Whatever it is on your life, however you see it playing out, I pray you would step into it with faith and courage. Because as we see with Mary, with her son Jesus, the results, they're in God's hands. And they are unbelievable. final female we're going to engage with is Anne. 
small part, huge significance. Another amazingly strong female. So I'm going to invite Enid up, who's going to read for us this final part. This short reading is taken from Luke chapter 2, reading verses 36 to 38. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Amen. Thank you, Enid. Our third character. Another woman who I'm sure we can assume had a plan for her life. Grew up with dreams, grew up with aspirations. And whose life did not follow anything like the plan I'm sure she had in her head. We read, and we know from other pieces of material, she was a wife for seven years but had become widowed and was a widow for decades. But we find she's still at the temple. We read she's still worshipping, fasting, praying. We don't have a huge amount of facts. But we have an amazing insight through the implications and the things that are implied, sorry, through this passage, it appears that she's childless. It appears that she's not born children. Possibly one of my favorite things about her, she's quickly moving up my ladder of females in the Bible that I love more and more because she is a cultural rebel. She is like high-end rebellion because the culture said you're a widow, so you need to go and get married again. You're a woman, so you need a man. And yet we read that she stands firm without getting married again. She looks at society, looks at the things they call of her. She turns her back on what society asks. She has a bigger plan, a bigger purpose, a bigger calling. She's a rebel, a cultural outcast, a widow. It'd be easy for us to assume her life is in tatters. Where's the plans and dreams she had? Instead, we read of this amazing woman who is given the title of prophet, of prophetess. Another big deal in God's way of viewing us. Another significant figure in God's plan. So despite the circumstances that she found herself in. Despite the path that life had taken her on, 
She finds peace. <coughs> she finds purpose in worship, in prayer, in fasting. We read of a woman who finds her purpose, her peace, her joy, her love in her relationship with God. Not in the things that the world expects us to be connecting with. And she has the privilege, the privilege in spite of everything that had gone before, to meet with the Son of God. Meet with his parents. Speak into his life. An amazing privilege that society would not expect her to be able to fulfill. What we read of, and for some of us this is a really important thing to hear. What we read of is someone whose life is not dictated to by the difficulties she'd faced. We read of a life not defined by the grief and the sorrow that she's journeyed. That's not to say it doesn't have an effect. It's not to say it doesn't shape her in some way, but it does not define her. It does not define who she was, what she would do. Despite all of that, she lives every day with a childlike excitement and belief that God is good, that he has a plan, that he has a purpose, that he's going to do something, that he's loving. What an amazing moment when Jesus is brought into the temple for her. For many of us, we can relate. Things haven't gone as we planned. Curveballs have come in. Situations have arisen. Hurt's been had. And yet, we learn here it's important to still believe in God's goodness. We see here how important it is to know his love and to know that he hasn't finished yet. The difficulties and challenges we face don't stop what he's doing. I have the privilege of knowing people who stand in the face of adversity with faith, with courage. And somewhere and somehow, and don't ask me to explain it, they have that childlike excitement that God is still good. I want to encourage us as a church. Society tells us the things that we should be rooted in. Society gives us a checklist to gauge our success against. A way of monitoring how we're doing. Are we meeting the standard? Are we excelling? Yet the calling on our lives is instead to find our root in God. Is to know that our purpose, our outworking, is based on our relationship with Him. Society doesn't understand it. That's okay. We're not called to explain that to them. What we're called to is to love them. 
We're called to live lives that reveal who Jesus is to us, to them. And through these three women, as their paths cross and intertwine and play out, we see just that. Amazingly strong, faithful females who know that despite what's going on in front of them, what's gone on behind them, God still has a plan, that God sees the bigger picture, God has a bigger purpose. Each of them loved by God, each of them used by God, despite the things that make them individuals. The things that make you who you are don't hold you back. The things you've experienced don't disqualify you. The person you are, the journey you've been on is exactly who God wants to use. It's exactly the person God has a plan for. So are we going to be like Elizabeth? Seeking to hold on to God even as life throws challenges and hurts us. When we look at someone like Mary, submitting our whole lives to God's plan, everything we are, everything we do, to live out the calling that he places on our lives. Or the prophetess, Anna, trusting God's goodness, even when life doesn't go how we planned those dreams we had might be fading. But we continue to trust him. In the midst of the joy, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of every celebration, of every disappointment, the Christmas message is this, that he is with you. The story we see through these three lives is that he is with you. Emmanuel, God with us. An incredible privilege, an incredible blessing.